The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom of the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This ends our scripture, and we're going to invite Pastor Josh to come forward. Glorious. I'd ask you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God who preordained every day of 2020 before uh, the creation of the world, you say in Ephesians. Lord, you already know what's coming down the pipeline. You know the highs and the lows, the challenges and the opportunities for us as individuals, but for also us as a church. Lord, I pray that as we unpack your word and the foundations that are going to be carrying us forward as we look to where you're calling us, Lord, I pray that you uh, comfort us uh, where we're hurting, Lord, and uh, if we need to be prodded out of our comfort zones, uh, Lord, I pray you do that as well. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we're in a new year, uh, new opportunities. 2020 is a year really for this church I am stoked about. Uh, I mean, starting with AJ, but then going on the different opportunities that we have to serve the community, to grow as a church, both from numbers-wise, but more importantly, as far as impact-wise and spiritually, God has been at work all over the place. And I'm excited. And part of me wanted to start off by saying, guys, this is all the awesome opportunities that God has for us as a church in 2020. But I had to take a step back. Because for all the good things we do, if we forget about why we're doing them, if we forget about the foundations that we're supposed to stand on, well, anything that I come up with, anything our leadership comes up with, anything you come up with, it's going to be one of those houses that Jesus talks about that's built on sand, built on a foundation that can't withstand a storm. And so starting in 2020, I wanted to step back a little bit and talk about some of the foundational truths of who we are as a church, both church corporate, who we are as a part of the big church, all of Christianity, but then also uniquely to Acts, scripturally, 
where we find that foundation from. And there's four areas we're going to look at. Today we're going to look at gospel-centered. Next week we're going to look at family-focused. Next week after that, people unleashed, and then community renewed. And those last three really are acts unique. I mean, there are other churches that are family-focused, for sure, but we have tons of families. We love families at Acts, families of all sizes, families of all shapes, of all backgrounds. People unleashed, we love to send people. We love to raise them up so they know that they are children of God, uniquely equipped to make a difference. And we care about our community. That's why we start things like Acts of Love or Community Gardens. But if we miss the first one, if we miss gospel-centered, everything we do, all that good work isn't going to last. Because you see, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the gospel, his work and his promises are the heartbeat and the life source of everything else that we do as Christians. I was trying to think through what this looked like, what image would work. And I had this idea of roses, right? So if I said, hey, there is a field, and I want to make this field beautiful. And so I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to buy a thousand roses. I'm going to go, I'm going to literally clear out H-E-B, every flower store within 20 miles of here. going to get all those rose stems, carry them out, and I'm just going to litter this field with roses. It's going to look beautiful. It's going to be a hallmark moment. People will be like, oh, Pastor Josh, you're such a romantic. And for a couple days, it's going to look nice. What's going to happen to those rose stems? Slowly but surely, within a week, they're all going to die. They're going to wither. And that bright color and all that life and all that beauty is going to disappear because those rose stems lost their connection to the source of their life. That's what happens when the church goes out without Jesus And we try to do good. We may make something beautiful for a moment. We may put a Band-Aid on something. But the underlining causes or the power that's even sending us out, our own strength, our own goodwill, quote, unquote, right? You know what? Today it's going to feel good to help someone else. If I separate myself from God, tomorrow it might not feel good to help someone else. My own sinful nature, my own brokenness, my own broken thinking will stop me from being able to love my neighbor as myself. But let's say instead of just throwing out rose stems, I said, you know what? We're going to plant rose bushes. Then, year after year, cycle after cycle, new roses will sprout and they will be alive and they will be beautiful and we'll prune it, right? That's what you do with rose bushes. So they even get more full, more beautiful. And now when you look out at that field, year after year after year, you don't see dead rose stems. You see alive, vibrant bushes because they're connected to the source of life. And that is who Jesus is to the life of the church. That is what the gospel is to the life of the church. It's the heartbeat that keeps us moving forward. And as long as we have the gospel, all that other stuff we want to do, loving on our families, loving on our communities, figuring out how we raise people up to send them out, it's all possible because of the heartbeat of who Jesus is and what the gospel is. So we're just going to unpack that a little bit today in the book of Luke. So Luke chapter 4 is the start of Jesus' public ministry. This is his coming on the scene, right? Jesus finally says, I am going to get a social media site that has a public profile, right? This is how he enters into the life of the world and saying, hey, I'm here. 
starts off. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. What's interesting, before we start off into what specifically is the gospel, one of the things we often miss about Jesus, and in fact, I, before I was a pastor, in fact, even once I became a pastor, I still struggled with this, was when Jesus walked around doing all those cool Jesus things, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the hungry, I would think, well, he's the son of God. It's like a little Hercules walking around doing God things, right? But what we find in scripture is that Jesus did all those things, not through his own power, because when he became man, he emptied himself. He said, you know what? I am going to empty the divinity, the Jesus mojo, out of myself. So those 33 years he was here, he was just human. The perfect human, but human. But the power of the Spirit would come upon him. And you see this over and over and over again. And when the Spirit would come upon him, he would heal and he would feed And he did all these miracles. And the reason why that's important is because it's that same spirit that he promises the church. He tells us church in Acts, but wait, for the spirit of the Lord will come upon you with power and you will be my witnesses of the gospel, he says. The good news is that we have the same access to the same power that Jesus had when he was here, which is powerful, somewhat terrifying almost, right? Because he did all kinds of amazing things. But it was the Holy Spirit working through him that did all those beautiful, life-changing, rose-garden-filling moments. And the powerful thing is he says, and you, as sons and daughters of God, have access to the same spirit, the same power, the same ability to change individuals' lives, communities' lives, and beyond. And again, that's not the gospel. It's part of it. But it does help us frame and understand how God works through us, how God worked through Jesus. Story goes on. He, being Jesus, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is his hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogues, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. All right, so the Sabbath is actually on Saturday at that time. And he goes, and what was their custom was they would read Scripture from the Old Testament. And what's unique about this is Jesus starts his public ministry by looking into the past. He starts and he says, hey, remember all that stuff we talked about in the Old Testament? In God's first voice to the world. All that stuff about Israel. All that stuff about a promised Messiah. He goes, that was all pointing to me. And he connects himself to the past of who God is and what God's doing, to the past of the people he intersects. And he goes, guys, this was always the plan. God is not on plan B. Right now, right here, this moment where they met Jesus, that was always part of the plan. Which is powerful because that's not how he just works then. That's how he works now. When Jesus intersects with someone, when God shows up in their life, He doesn't just say, all right, everything that happened before, just forget about it. That's not what he says. He says, I have always been working for you. I have always been on your side. And I have been crafting the story to meet you here. And so your past connects with your present. And we have a God who doesn't waste brushstrokes. He doesn't waste 
our past. I can't tell you how many experiences I have had where things that I have done in my past, things that I did wrong, things where I sinned, or brokenness in my past, divorce in my family, addiction in my family, where I've been able to sit down with someone else and share hope, share good news that there is a God who can redeem this, who can restore this. And so he takes even the muck of my past and he says, Josh, even that stuff, I'm going to come in and I'm going to redeem. And I'm going to restore. And we have a God that shows up and says, this was always plan A and I'm here for you now. And then he reads the scroll and the scroll talks about his mission. He says, unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news is literally where we get the word gospel. It's where we get the word gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the good news of who God is, who Jesus is, and what he came to do. But in the New Testament, when you hear good news, it's shorthand for the promises and the work of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing, both in the lives of individuals, but also corporately. And it's for the poor. And there are all kinds of poor, right? Certainly spiritually poor. And left to our own devices, we're all there, right? I can't reach up to God by myself. I don't have that strength. My legs aren't long enough. I'm not holy enough. And so for all of us who are spiritually poor, we have a God who shows up and says, I am here for you and I love you. But there's other types of poverty. There's emotional poverty. And he says, I'm here for you. There's financial poverty. And he says, I'm here for you. Now, you can get down some really weird slippery slopes where you're like, okay, cool. And you're going to solve all of it, God. And I'm going to be happy, wealthy, and wise. And that isn't in Scripture. What is in scripture is the promise of daily bread and the promise that God will provide for you and the promise that you're not alone and the good news that there is a God who is fighting for you, has plans for you. And more importantly, those plans aren't about just you. He takes you out of our own sinful pride, our own sinful little worlds, the islands we live on. He says, I want to put you a part of something bigger, something more beautiful. You don't have to be a dying rosebud anymore. I want to connect you to the bush. And you're going to thrive. And you're going to be beautiful. And you're going to help others be beautiful. And you're going to help others thrive because you're connected to me, the heartbeat of all life. Continues on. It says, he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Right, so he starts off by saying, this gospel, this good news, it's going to look like restoration. For the prisoners, they're going to be set free. The blind will be able to see. The oppressed will be free. But then this thing of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. This is one of the coolest, typically unknown aspects of the Old Testament. So, Old Testament, God sets up this kingdom of Israel. And he says, you're going to be the people of God. And he creates this nation, but he builds a very unique cycle into this nation. Every 50 years, there would be something called the year of Jubilee, or the year of the Lord's favor. And what would happen is, as all of us do, people would accumulate debt. 
Right? And all of us in some form or fashion are familiar with debt. Maybe it's your mortgage, maybe it's student loans, maybe it's credit cards, right? You live, you accumulate debt. And in ancient times, if you accumulated too much debt, you would actually have to sell yourself or your family to be a servant or a slave to another family. You would have to sell off your family farm. Hard times would come. And the burden of life would start to be carried. Well, during the year of Jubilee, once every 50 years, everything got wiped clean. Everyone got a reset. Everyone was free. All slaves, all servants were free. If you had to sell your family's land to provide for yourself, you actually got that land back. It was a way for God to restore everyone back to a positive place. That's why it was called the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee, where we get our English word Jubilee, this time of excitement, this time of thanks, this time where everything that was in the past, all that stuff we had to carry, whether it was financial debt or shame or guilt, mistakes, our family's heritage, all of it, he says. You see, it's the year of the Lord's favor. And in fact, it is now the era of the Lord's favor. This isn't something that you have to wait every 50 years for, for God to forgive you. For God to be like, all right, you suffered enough. I'm finished smiting you. Now I love you. No, no, that's not how it works. We actually are literally living in the era of God's favor, the era of Jubilee. Where he promises, guys, you're forgiven and you're loved and you're clean and we're not going to play pretend. We're not going to act like there isn't such thing as sin or that you don't need grace but you don't carry that stuff anymore. You're liberated from it. You're not prisoners to it anymore. See, that's the good news, is that we live in the era of God's favor. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, he loves you, he has a plan for you, and he wants to put you into a bigger plan. He wants to pull you out of yourself and put you into something so much more beautiful, so much more vibrant than anything we could create in our own little worlds. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he said to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The good news, he came to take broken people and broken world and start putting it back together again. That's who we are as a church. That's who we are called to be, whether you're an Acts church or a Baptist church or whatever. All of us are on this team now. The team of a God who has good news to fix broken people, communities, and even a broken world. That's the heartbeat. That's what sends us out. That's our rallying cry. Hey, this is all well and good, but how this story now turns, it's almost comical, right? Because So Jesus, he's talking about this, and everyone's saying nice things about him. In fact, immediately after this, all who spoke well of him, all spoke well of him, and we're amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That's how the story starts. Everyone's praising him. They're like, dude, he's saying good things. He's doing cool things. He's healing people. This is awesome. But it, it turns really quickly. But isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. And Jesus said to them, surely you're going to quote me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard, what was done in Capernaum. Hey, God, you, you serve me. 
I punched the right numbers in the cosmic vending machine. Give me what I want. Hey, God, you're the genie in the bottle, and I prayed the prayer, so now I control what's going to happen. That's what Jesus is talking about, right? They're trying to tell him how to act. They're trying to tell him, yeah, you may be the Messiah, but the Messiah is here to serve me. And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not how this works. That's not the good news. If you're still the center of the story, you haven't actually heard the good news yet. Because you're still then in your own little prison, your own little world. And he goes, guys, I got something better for you. But to get that, to receive that, it means you have to realize that you're not at the center. And people aren't too happy about that. He tells the story of both Elijah and Elijah and how he's helping people who weren't from Israel. How the people of Israel wanted God to do what they wanted him to do, but that's not how the story went. And the people, they're not really happy with this. And this is where the story gets comical. All the people in the synagogue were now furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. That turned quickly, right? From praising him to literally mob mentality. And I almost just imagine like these like town villagers holding like pitchforks and like the torches and like carrying Jesus. Like we are not cool with this. To throw him off a literal hill. We are done with you. We don't want this kind of Messiah. And then the real comedy hits. Jesus doesn't smite him, right? He doesn't call down fire from heaven. Essentially, he's like, enough of the shenanigans. He just walks away, right? That's how much power he has. The crowd's in the frenzy. And I don't know whether he went invisible or whether or not they just got confused. I have no idea how, but it says they're all worked up. And he walked right through the crowd and he's like, all right, peace out. We'll, We'll talk later. How quickly the story can change. How quickly our response to God can change. And again, I'm at the front of that list. Because I can go from praising God and praying and being loving and kind, and then the right button hits me. I don't get what I want. And all of a sudden, I'm in the tizzy. I'm the one getting ready to say, you know what, God? Forget you. I'll handle this myself. And what we see consistently within the Gospels, what we see even in this scripture here, is that Jesus has a tendency to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So we're coming out of the holidays. I don't know if you are comfortable coming out of the holidays. It was great, perfect family time. You had all the perfect Instagram photos. Everything worked out aces, and you're like, yeah, life is good. Or you're coming out of the holidays, and you're like, holy smokes, I need another vacation from that shenanigans, from all the hurt, from all the brokenness, from all the arguments, for the mourning of the people who aren't here anymore. And to those who are afflicted, to those who realize I need God because I'm still broken, he brings comfort. And he says, I've got good news for you. I've come to liberate you. I've come to give you a hope and a future. I've come for you to know that you're not alone and that I am working for you and that I've always been working for you. He says, I have good news for you. But now to the comfortable... To those of us, and again, this is all of us in this room, where at times we're like, God, I got this. 
Because my bank account's where it needs to be, because my job's where it needs to be, because my family's where it needs to be, because whatever it is that gives me security. In that moment, he actually afflicts us a little bit. Not to punish us, not to harm us, but to help us realize, actually, in that moment, Josh, you're living in your own little prison. Because that thing that you think is going to give you security, that way that you acted, that sin that you can't let go of, he goes, that's actually trapping you. And so to the comfortable, he afflicts and he shows us, actually, I'm still a sinner. I still need grace. I still need the good news that there is a God who is fighting for me because left to my own devices every week, every day, probably before I pull out of the parking lot here, I need a God of grace who meets me and says, I forgive you, and I love you, and I'm still with you. And that's the heartbeat that keeps us alive. That's why we build into our rhythm as a church moments and times to admit before God we're still sinners. We need forgiveness, confession, and absolution. That's why Paul or John talks about when Jesus comes back from the dead, he breathes on them and he says, receive the power of the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. Not because I have any special mojo hands to forgive sins. Nope, but God does. And he says, so when you speak forgiveness, people are forgiven. And that's the heartbeat. That's the life force that then allows us to leave and to be family focused and to unleash people as Jesus followers, to see a community renewed. It's literally the life force that allows us to move forward as a church, as families, and as individuals. We're going to go into a time of confession and absolution. We're going to have a couple moments of silence to just admit before God at the places where we've been comfortable. Where we said, you know what? My way is better than your way, God. And then we're going to hear the words of forgiveness through Jesus himself when he says, I do this for the forgiveness of sins, a new covenant to connect you back to God, back to the rose bush that gives you life. I invite you guys to pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a God of forgiveness. You are a God of good news who came to set us free from our own broken thinking, decisions, families, and communities. But Lord, oftentimes we forget or ignore or quite frankly rebel against what you want us to do. Lord, we come before you now in confession, a time asking for forgiveness. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.